morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, 1 through 17. We're just going to read the whole passage. I, I think it's a, just a descriptive story, um, and many of you are familiar. But we just want to give honor to the Word of God together as we read verse by verse. Read with me in Genesis chapter 4, 1 through 17. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife. And she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Would you pray with me? Father, this is the word of God that we really honor and we humbly want to listen what you have to say. Would you open our hearts? Would you truly help us to repent if there is any way that is not way of the gospel? In Jesus' name, amen. We are in Genesis, obviously the first book in the Bible. Why do we go back to such a long time in history? What is the benefit and purpose of considering these ancient stories? Well, because they are not just disconnected stories of the past. They are primarily one story, God's one redemptive story that answers our current questions, such as, why is there evil? Why do humans fight? Why do marriages split? Why are sweet and lovable children turning to demons when they become teenagers? And why do Christians in the church quarrel and fight? And this redemptive story answers the remedy. What answers does God have about these seemingly impossible situations? Especially um, today's story. Very, very famous. Two brothers really, really speak about the power and destruction of sin in our lives. 
I have memorized this very, very short phrase by a dead Puritan guy uh, about 10 years ago. And I keep repeating this phrase over and over again to myself, and it has helped me tremendously. He said, be killing sin, or sin be killing you. Be killing sin, or sin be killing you. Straight to the point, easy to remember. That phrase pretty much sums up today's short, very, very short story between these two brothers, Cain and Abel. Let me take you back to Adam and Eve. That's where we were yesterday, uh, last Sunday. First humans, our parents as first man and woman. To sum it up, they screwed up. They rebelled. They disobeyed God's only command. And sin entered human history. In our souls, even in our community, whether it be a family or church. So God, because he is righteous and just God, God kicked Adam and Eve out of Garden of Eden. And now here in Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve lives in east of Eden. Eve bore her first child and named him Cain, meaning Lord Man. Another way to say Messiah. Chosen one. And as I was reading this and thinking about the meaning of this child, and I can honestly say, maybe Eve was thinking about Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When God told Eve and gave hope, Eve, you guys messed up and you are now cursed, but I will send somebody. I will send my chosen one to save you from this terrible condition. And now as she is bearing a child, Lord man, possibly, she may have thought, maybe this is the one who will deliver us and take us back to Garden of Eden. Unfortunately, this Lord man turned out to be a murderer, killer of his brother, her son, not a savior of this world. What do we see? The continual dysfunction and alienation that Pastor DC talked about last Sunday. The sin will not stay put in one spot. You cannot tell sin, hey, go just sit in one corner. And then thinking that maybe for 5,000 years, it's going to just sit there. Sin moves. Sin moves through communities. Sin moves through families. Sin moves through our lives. And sin moves even in the churches. So we will consider three things. The progression of sin, the subtlety of sin, and the solution to sin. I hope and pray that the phrase that I said, be killing sin, sin be killing you, that phrase will keep coming back to us throughout this time. But not only today, but for the rest of our lives. First, the progression of sin. Sin begins with the heart issues. It's easy for us to think that sin is just an activity. It's an action. But go back to Cain and Abel's first activity. What is their first activity in this Genesis chapter 4? It's worship. This is a good religious family. God is still there. I'm just so stunned. God just kicked them out of Garden of Eden. 
And then now they're cursed. They sinned. And yet, even outside of Garden of Eden, God is there. God talks to them. And now they are worshiping God. But the first problem happens when Abel's offering of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions is accepted. But Cain's offering, the older brother's offering of the fruit of the ground is rejected by God. Wow. God rejects worship. In verse 5, it says, Cain is angry and his face falls. Another version says downcast. That's Hebrew word for depression. Do you see what is happening? In Genesis chapter 3, after sin, it was shame. It was guilt. It was alienation. And Adam and Eve both felt it. And it was in the Garden of Eden. But brothers and sisters, the sin does not just stay in one spot. It will continue to move. It will continue to get worse. Now in Genesis chapter 4, it is not just shame and guilt. It is anger. It is depression. It is rage. Sin does not get better. Sin gets worse. What is the problem? Is it the animal offering versus fruit offering? And God raises animal offering's hand? No, that's not it. God allows grain offering to be offered in Leviticus. The problem is not animal offering versus fruit offering. The problem is not the substance or the process. The problem is the heart of who comes to God. God is not satisfied just with the act, whether it be serving, fellowship, giving, and even worship. What God desires is our hearts. It's very easy for us to think sin is just a behavior. As long as I don't do terrible or bad behavior, but the sin of wrong worship happens not with the offering, but it starts with the person's heart. God rejects because the heart is wrong. The book of Hebrews explains further. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 explains the whole situation in Genesis chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, Though he died, Abel still speaks. It's not the substance, but Abel's heart. Abel has faith, meaning he had trust in the promise of God in his heart. Abel is not depending on himself. Abel is not depending on his works. He brings his firstborn, risking the possibility of giving all. Think about it. If the flock does not bear any more babies... Then the firstborn that he gave to God, that's it. But in his heart, he has this trust. God promised. And I'm sure he heard from his mom and dad about Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God is the one who's going to deliver us. God will give us the chosen one. And as he's coming to worship God, in his heart, there is that trust. I will trust. Not in what I bring. Not in what I have done. Not in someone else. But I will trust in the promise of God. And unfortunately, that was not the case with Cain. Cain is more conscious of himself. 
what he has accomplished than trusting in God's promise. And I think, you know, this is where our Christianity differs with all the psychological and sociological explanation of bad behavior or even sin. I remember listening to Ted Bundy. Many of you may have heard his name. uh, Interview in prison. Ted Bundy, back in 1970s, he's a serial killer who killed more than 30, well, they say 36. He confessed to 36 murders and rapes. But they think that it's probably more than that. Uh, He just doesn't remember. And he had interview in prison before uh, uh, he was executed. And in that interview, he talks about how all these rapes and murders, it goes way back to his teenage days. When he innocently and curiously looked at X-rated magazine. And as one look at that, this did not satisfy him. And then he kept looking, kept looking, and kept looking at something more hard. And obviously, that led him to really possibly act upon the desires he had. And, you know, psychologically, people say, oh, okay, it's that X-rated one act, one looking at that thing. But brothers and sisters, when we look at Genesis chapter 4, it's not even that one look at that pornographic magazine. It's even, even deeper than that. It's in his heart. A heart that's curved towards things that are against God. And also, we need to understand that if sin is left unchecked, it will move forward. Sin will always progress to something bigger and more lethal. And as Jesus said about Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And sin joins in that operation. Look at Cain's anger and depression and disappointment. Uh, We see that in verse uh, 5. But for Cain, God, the Lord has no regard. Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And then look at verse eight. Cain spoke to his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Ah. Uh, You would think it's just his anger, just his rage, just his disappointment, just his depression. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't stop there. It will lead to something worse. James chapter 1 verse 13 through 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Another version says lust. It is not just talking about sexual lust, but all of our desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
Do you hear the progression of sin? When you had the desire and it's not when it's left unchecked. Our desires are against God. Our desires are curved into want whatever it wants. But it doesn't just stop there. It will move. It is only the beginning. It lusts after people. It lusts after things. It lusts after stuff. It wants what it wants. and goes after whatever it wants. No matter what the cost is. Is this only Cain's problem? No. Hebrews chapter 11 clearly says, Abel still speaks and Cain does too. Where is our hearts? Where is your heart? Have we not seen this reality around us? Marriages break up. Roommates split. Churches divide. Friendships destroyed. Even if we don't go there, how many of us have seen or maybe struggling with addiction to something. And I will tell you, I guarantee it will move. It will keep going, going, going until it destroys our lives. Be killing sin. Sin be killing you. Second, let us consider the subtlety of sin. This is very important nature of sin. Sin is powerfully deceptive. Would you look at verse 4, 5? No, look at verse 6 and 7. 6 and 7 reads, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You know, I don't like today's title in your bulletin. Um, I gave it to Hannah, and then I regret it. <laughs> so I changed it. In my manuscript, it says, Elder Brother Cain. But I was very, very tempted to tell Hannah to say, my sermon title will be Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. <laughs> uh, but this picture right here, what God is saying, sin is crouching. This is so telling. It really raises the hair on the back of your neck. Sin is like the crouching animal, a leopard or the tiger that is waiting for its prey. Sin crouches. Sin is getting out of our view. Sin insists it is not dangerous. It is hiding. Maybe Cain thought it was just his emotion. I'm just angry. I'm just disappointed. I'm just sad. It's natural reaction, possibly. That's fine. But if you listen to God, God was aware of Cain's depravity. The potency of that rage, anger, and that depression. How does sin hide? It starts to minimize. It's not my problem. It's not that bad. You know what? That's going to go away. Hey, this is who I am. If you don't like me, tough luck. Didn't you know that this is the person you're getting 
you were getting married to? You know, that person is worse than I am. That's his fault. Some time ago, my son, I will not say which one, came downstairs uh, to talk to my wife and I. In a sense, uh, he was defending himself why he's not doing well in his Spanish class. He started to say, Dad, Mom, my Spanish teacher is so arrogant and conceited. She tells us that we struggle with this Spanish because we did not take our Spanish class last year. So I don't know the material that well. So I asked my son, how long have you spent studying for it? And my son was so proud. 30 minutes today. <laughs> I was a bit tired that day. Um, so I gave it to him. <laughs> you are arrogant. <laughs> you are selfish. <laughs> it's not your teacher's fault. <laughs> if you don't know the material, you better go back to that book and study until you get it. He was angry. <laughs> How many of us do that? We blame our professors. We blame our roommates. We blame our parents. We blame our those ancestors. We blame our gene. And don't we blame our God? Is that you this morning? Do you know your hidden sins? All of us, everybody got something. Do you realize that sin is crouching at your door? Before I share the ultimate solution, let me give you two thoughts on crouching sins. First, one is community. You need other spiritual friends who can tell your crouching sins. Brothers and sisters, it's kind of like this. If an animal is crouching and hidden behind the long grass and you're not able to see it, brothers and sisters, there may be others around that place, others who are not where you are, that are able to see from their angle. We need other people. We need that community. Do you have that community? Do you have those who can really tell you the sins that are hiding in our hearts? Whether it be in your small groups, whether it be in this uh, bigger congregation or something. But brothers and sisters, take risk. Because we will not be able to see our crouching sins by ourselves all the time. Another way to deal with crouching sin is Assume criticisms are generally true. Another pastor suggested this. Assume criticisms are generally true. I really like that. Of course, not all criticisms are generally 100% true, but most of them have a grain of truth. Proverbs clearly tells you, do not despise correction. Listen. Whether it be by your mentors whether it be by your friends, whether it be your roommate or your spouse. Listen, and possibly their criticisms could be true in one way or another. 
So the last thing I want to consider is a solution to sin in this passage. So, I mean, you know, this sin is terrible. It is so powerful. And it has ruined so many people's lives. And it will continue to ruin. It will continue to attack us. It will continue to wait until it's the right moment to get us. What do we do with that? Is it more self-discipline? Is it somehow you're more diligent that will be able to break the power of sin? I remember when I was in high school, I only did this once. But I had a great retreat. You know, whenever you go to the retreat, you have a great time. And oh, you're crying all this. And God, I'm not going to commit sin anymore. I'm going to be, you know, on fire for you. I came home. And I used my blood. You know, those writing on blood, right? I poked it, right? God, I will not commit this sin. Right? God, I am on fire for you. <laughs> I mean, you see that in movies, right? You know, you're in high school, right? God, I, I'm on board with you. So I fold it, right, and put it in my drawer. Pray, God, this is how much I love you. Several days later, commit the same sin. That's us. That's us. Our self-discipline, effort, it will only take you so far, even if you may have changed the outward behavior. Remember, it begins with the hearts. If our hearts are not changed, and our hearts will not get changed just with our self-discipline or more of this or that and more effort. And that is why here, we need to see, we need to see that I am not the solution. But the solution is, Grace and justice of God. Right here in this passage. Grace and justice of God. And I'm just blown away by how much grace God is giving Cain. Uh, you know, I, I told you, God is still here. Okay, God kicked him out, got out of Garden of Eden. But God is still here. Even after their rebellion and disobedience. God is still here receiving their worship, correcting and communing with this family. And what's amazing is this. Even after Cain kills his younger brother, literally, God wants to intervene. Look at verse 8 and 9. Cain spoke to, his, spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother. Abel killed him. Now look at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Where is Abel your brother? Do you think God doesn't know what happened? We saw this last Sunday when God asked Adam and Eve, Where are you after Adam and Eve sinned? When God asked a question, God is not looking for more information. He knows everything. He knows everything. What he is trying to do is what? He is trying to help us understand and realize our failure so that we will repent. God is intervening. What God just, Cain just killed his brother. Gosh, you just struck him down. Do you know what you did? 
Didn't I tell you before that this is going to happen? Don't you understand that sin will get you? God doesn't do that. There is this tenderness of God. Because God wants us to see our sin. God wants us to realize what we have done. So that His grace will bring us to true repentance. Unfortunately, that is not the case with Cain. The famous line, Am I my brother's keeper? How many of us have said that? Is it my responsibility? I did not do anything wrong. What God desires is true repentance. Not more sinful explanation and cover up. Verse 13 is the answer that Cain gives God after God gives him the consequence of sin. Verse 13 says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Brothers and sisters, this is not true repentance. When you focus, your, when you focus on your punishment more than your sin, that is not repentance. What Cain is saying is, my punishment is more than I deserve. In a sense, he's kind of like blaming God. Brothers and sisters, repentance is saying, my punishment is just. But even after false repentance, he has another explanation. And God does not kill him for it. In verse 15, it says, God put a mark on Cain so that other people will not kill him. And what is that mark of Cain? And I know many of you had that question. Though some commentators think they know what it is, the Bible does not say what that mark is. Okay, so I cannot tell you what that mark is. You know, it's kind of like when Jesus wrote something on the ground, when the Pharisees brought that woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Jesus wrote something on the ground. And so many people are trying to figure that out. Oh, what did Jesus write? What did Jesus write on the ground? But brothers and sisters, the Bible does not say. We do not know. And even here, we do not know what the mark of Cain is. But clearly, it is grace of God. Maybe God giving him. Another chance to repent. Maybe this morning God brought you here in a way to show you His grace. Maybe God is intervening. You've been struggling with sin after sin. You've been just hating. You've been jealous. You've been angry. You've been disappointed. And God brought you here. That is grace of God intervening. Repent. Repent. Brothers and sisters, do not make excuses. But Pastor Tay, you don't understand how many times I've sinned over and over again with the same sin. I don't have any more courage. I would not even accept me for these, some of these horrible and repetitive sins. Pastor say, you don't know how selfish I am. And you don't know how many people I've hurt over and over again. Brothers and sisters, that is why the solution is not just grace of God. 
but it has to be coupled with justice of God. You're right. Whenever anybody sins, there's a justice that needs to be done. Any blood that's been shed, it is calling out justice. Abel's blood is calling out justice. And you're right. When you sin over and over again, it is calling out justice. Where is justice? We must pay. And that is why I'm ending my sermon in Hebrews chapter 12. Would you turn there? Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. God wrote, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Did you see that? Abel's blood is crying out for justice. Sin must be paid. But there is a better, better word. There's a better Abel than the Abel that we saw. And this Jesus' blood on the cross crying out for justice as well. But that death and the blood has covered all of our past, present, and future. Keller talks about it this way. The blood of Jesus, the bloodshed for sins, solves the problem of justice and mercy tension. How can God continue to offer mercy and hope to the Cains of this world, who have slain the Abels of the world? The Hebrews author in this brilliantly metaphor puts it like this. The ultimate Abel, the ultimate man of faith, the only truly innocent man came into the world. And we Cains all killed him. But this was not a random accident. This one came into the world to be our substitute, to bear the curse that we came to deserve. Yes, I am Cain. We are Cains of this world. And we have killed so many Abels in our hearts. And yet here, whenever we come to God and repent, guess what? Jesus says, God, look at that person. That person has sinned again. Yes, give that person justice. But Jesus tells God, remember, that justice has been met on the cross already that's why Romans 8 1 now there is no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus for some of you you have been dealing with shame and guilt for so many years you may have been trying to get rid of that sin for once and for all but I guarantee you will fail again. But brothers and sisters, bring it to the cross. Bring it to grace and justice of God. And God will truly take care 
and declare us just and righteous because of his son. Let us pray.